Hi there and welcome. This is Amanda, the founder of Astrology Hub, and you're listening to our week ahead snapshot with world-class astrologer, historian, and author of the Cosmic Calendar, Christopher Renstrom. This show is designed to give you a quick overview of the week ahead, enabling you the gift of choice in how you navigate and weave these energies into your daily life. Enjoy. Hello, my name is Christopher Renstrom, and I'm your weekly horoscope columnist here on Astrology Hub. And this week, I wanted to talk to you about the Venus-Neptune square taking place on July 14th. Now, they say that beauty is in the eye of the beholder, but are you better off being beauty or are you better off being the beholder? That's the question I want you to think about as Venus approaches her square to Neptune. Now, Venus-Neptune squares are said to be the most deceptive of all astrological aspects. uh, They're often associated with things like Ponzi schemes, or with someone leading you on romantically, or someone ghosting you, saying that they're going to show up and never really showing up at all. Okay, so all of these notions of deception, of being led on, are often associated to Venus squaring Neptune in the sky. And of course, what everyone's trying to describe here is probably one of the most dangerous emotions of all, and that is the emotion of infatuation. 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 Wow. It's such an amazing ecstasy when you are filled with infatuation, when you're crushing on someone, when your eyes meet, and then you quickly look away, or you see a picture of someone and you instantly fall in love. This is something that has been the stuff of romance novels and romantic poetry for centuries on end. But something that Um, our society regards as, you know, kind of silly and frivolous, this idea of infatuation. It's amazing the kind of staying power that it really has. On one hand, we all want to fall in love. We all want to feel that infatuation, that, that, that transport, that's what they used to call it in the 19th century, transported, that transport of feeling that takes you to a higher place of ecstasy. But at the same time, at the same time, that terrible fear of treachery, of being led on or being led astray. These are all the things that are associated with infatuation. And of course, when you're feeling an infatuation about someone, and infatuations aren't just exclusive to people, you can be infatuated with an idea, you can be infatuated with a goal, you can be infatuated with the way that you see your life turning out. These are all infatuations. These can all be fantasies, all things that loved ones and friends try to talk you out of by giving you sobering warnings or by saying, that you're simply not in possession of your senses. So oftentimes when Venus is approaching a square to uh, Neptune in the sky, especially nowadays, with Neptune being in its own sign of Pisces, so it's even more powerful, astrologers will often warn you away. Watch out for infatuation. Watch out for gullibility. Watch out for being taken in. Watch out 
for being taken to be a fool. These are all things that 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 we will warn about, and with good reason, because in some degree they they can happen. But there's something deeper that's going on with infatuation. Like there's something deeper that's going on with this square between Venus and Neptune. Squares, as we as as we know, are combative energies or competitive energies. Uh, they are when uh, two uh, planets are forming a square to one another in the sky, and what they're trying to do is get the best of each other. Squares, um, as an aspect, are mar- Martian in their character, meaning combative or or fighting, and we expect lots of fights and conflicts whenever there's a square. But not all planets fight in the same way, and not all planets bring about a recognizable conflict. The conflict that happens when you have, for instance, uh, Venus and Gemini squaring uh, uh, Neptune in Pisces, Venus Venus is the planet of attraction, okay? So Venus's job as the planet of attraction is to bring people into your life. The more people she brings into your life, the better, because these are people who are going to support you. These are people who are going to agree with you. These are people who are going to be on your side. Um, And these are people who love and care for you. So so Venus brings these people into your life um, outside. and, And usually the province of Venus is anything outside the family. So So Venus doesn't really talk about your siblings or your cousins as much as Venus is about befriending or or, uh, people coming into your life and just thinking that you're the most fabulous thing and and you see things so similarly. This is is Venus's power of attraction. Uh, And of course, we know of Venus as being romantic, that she will bring in lovers and she will bring in romance. And again, the whole idea is to get you and a lover or a partner together to get you together on the same page. This is what Venus is trying to do. She's bringing someone into your life to to be with you, to to partner, to to pair. This is not what Neptune is doing, okay? And it's a little confusing because uh, Venus is so much to do with uh, romance and Neptune has so much to do with idealization and illusion, okay? And so when you think of Venus as being uh, the planet of attraction and Neptune being the planet of really a vision that you fall under its spell of, that's something that they sort of have in common, okay? Or where it can augment one another, Uh, but they're actually two very different provinces in your life. As I said before, Venus is trying to bring someone into your life to partner or to pair with. Uh, She's trying to get you as many likes on your Facebook page as you can get. This is what Venus does. But Neptune, Neptune rules over the other world. Neptune rules over the invisible world. Neptune rules over the spiritual world, the world that we cannot see, the invisible world we cannot see, but a world, a world that we know is always there, even though it cannot be explained. Now, the interesting sort of thing about this is that Pluto, for instance, we associate as being, uh, well, it's, we associate it with the planet of the underworld. We associate it with the realm of the dead. You know, when you died, you went down into the underworld, according to Greek and Roman tradition, and there um, your soul uh, was judged as to whether it was going to be a good soul or a bad soul and divided into those two camps. 
Neptune. Neptune, when it was discovered in the 1840s, um, brought to uh, coincided with the spiritual spiritualist movement here in America. And so Neptune was this whole idea that when we died, our souls went to a higher plane. It went to an invisible plane. And in some cases, the souls continued to live on on this spiritual uh, plane, the, the, the idea of the dearly departed. And they were the dearly departed because you could almost speak to them through a seance or someone who channeled or did trance work um, in a correspondence, you know, dearly departed or dearly beloved. And and there was this idea that souls were living at the same time as you, but not in the confines of time. Uh, So so Neptune was this supernatural, invisible realm uh, that lay beyond life, uh, but wasn't dead. It was actually living. And you could contact souls of, of people who had died in your life, and they could sort of speak to you as guiding spirits to help you to live a better life. Not only would they bring you comfort in many of the uh, seances that were held in the Civil War and post-Civil War period uh, that was a, that were associated with spiritualism, not only could they bring you comfort with good news of the life beyond this, but they could also provide you with guidance. Watertown to a very simple, returning back to our aspect of, of Venus square Neptune, Venus is bringing um, forth this idea of, of, of love, of, of finding your, 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 your lover, of finding your amour. Okay, but Neptune, Neptune's idea is that it's not of this world, but it's going to be of the other world. Okay, and so this is where the notion of idealization or over romanticization comes into play in the more traditional interpretations of a Venus and Neptune square. Uh, Venus is always pulling for this world and Neptune. Neptune is always pulling for the supernatural world or the higher planes or the realm that's invisible that you know is there, but you can't touch or feel and that lives beyond the world that we are living in. So there is always going to be this idea of reaching for something that you cannot have with a Venus-Neptune square, uh, which gets back to the question that I originally asked. Um, If beauty is in the eye of the beholder, um, is it better to be beauty or is it better to be the beholder? And this is what you're going to see playing out this week. If you are beauty, in the equation, then you the you, then you are the object of someone else's desire. Okay, that means uh, uh, someone's crushing on you, someone's longing for you, someone's convinced that you're the best thing since sliced bread. Someone just wants to be near you because you're a very inspirational sort of figure. You may or may not know this. Um, you you may catch the glance of someone who looks at you longingly, or that person who longs for you, that person who yearns for you, and longing and yearning is very Neptunian, uh, may not come forth with it. They may not say a word. And so you may actually have no idea of what is going on, okay, if you are beauty in the equation. Um, 
if you're building the equation and you get an idea of what's going on, uh, you might be intrigued. Your curiosity might be piqued. Um, you might even wonder, what does this person see in me that I don't? And that idea, that vision that the person holds of you might become something that's seductive or something that you want to know more about. Let's say you're the beholder. That means you're bringing the beholding to the table, okay? This, this might be, um, this is the other side of the Venus-Neptune square that's taking place. Beholding means to yearn. Beholding means to long. Beholding means adoration, okay? You fall upon your knees. Now, we don't, when we're crushing on someone or see someone we like or, or whatever, we, we don't really fall on our knees, although we might recoil in a kind of embarrassment or shame or, you know, what if that person came over and said hello? We, we want them to come and say hello, but at the same time, we don't want them to come and say hello. It, it, it makes us burn, you know, so, so we might actually be more comfortable um, yearning for them at a distance, longing for them at a distance. Uh, there may be something in which we really don't want them to come closer to us because this feeling of ecstasy, this feeling of longing, this feeling of yearning is so powerful um, that it can make us feel embarrassed. Um, adoration can make you feel ashamed because you feel so overwhelmed by something that you see as being so much more magnificent than you. Now, some people stay in that 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 place. You know, they might have a secret crush or yearning, which they never disclose, or some people may sour, you know, that that feeling of longing and learning uh, and yearning may take over to the point of like, well, now, you know, um, you're not as good as what I thought you were. You're not as good as what I is visualized. You've disappointed me, you know, and that can be sort of like the dark side of the yearning, this, this kind of, um, you know, it, it, it's, a, it's, it's wanting to be released from the spell um, or it's such um, a commitment to the spell that when they get to know the person, it's a disappointment. <laughs> and so the spell must live on longer than the person and uh, longer than the fleeting crush the person um, has disappointed in some way. And what that's in reference to is the idea of a muse. And a muse was a goddess. There were nine muses, and they were the goddesses of arts and sciences. And they were always the figures who inspired artists to paint great paintings or scientists to conceive of great thoughts. So muses are goddesses. They're supernatural. You cannot hold them. You know, a painter can be inspired by a muse to paint something marvelous and wondrous, but that's not exclusive to that painter. And that's not exclusive exclusive to that painter's lifetime any more than a scientist. A scientist can be inspired to come up with an incredible theorem, equation, invention, system of making things work, curing something, you know, but this science, uh, this, this muse of science has not given it to that scientist alone. They are not the only person who would be inspired that that scientist will pass away and that muse of science will continue to inspire future generations as more theorems are formulated and more inventions are conceived. So again, this takes us to the supernatural world um, where, where Neptune is always standing out outside of our mortal world, but always 
um, uh, entices us, invites us, asks us to come forward. And again, you know, you might think, well, why is a crush on the level of this? But a crush, you know, or when you feel that rapture, when you feel that infatuation, ask anyone who's felt it. I'm sure you have felt it. The, 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 the veil drops and all of a sudden you're beholding or you're feeling something which is so much more than you. It's not a passion. You know, it's not a passion where I must have. It's this breathtaking awe because you are standing in the presence of beauty. You know, this is what happens with an infatuation. So I was thinking, what would be a sort of example of this? Um, and of course, you have to think of the obvious example of, of this of this Venus-Neptune square, of this uh, awe and the presence of beauty and what it goes on to inspire as a muse. And, and, and well, to me, the obvious example is Dante and Beatrice. Uh, you may be familiar with Dante from Dante's Inferno. It's a very famous uh, part of a poem, which is is called the Divine Comedy, where uh, Dante is this Italian poet who um, descends into hell and is guided through hell where he visits people in their torment. That's the one you always read about or see pictures from because it's people in hell and torment. And that's like so fabulous and everyone like gets into torment. <laughs> okay. So, so there's Dante's Inferno, but there's also Dante's Purgatorio, Dante in Purgatory, where he's guided through Purgatory. And then there's Dante's Paradiso, which is Dante in Paradise. And this is very important because Dante's guide in, in the Paradiso is Beatrice. Beatrice. Beatrice, the woman, the girl that he fell in love with when he was just a kid. Now, there's been a lot of back and forth as to whether Dante and Beatrice knew each other, but pretty much it's understood that they did, that actually they were neighbors. They had sort of like neighboring Italian summer palazzios, okay, in, 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 the late, in, in the late medieval period or medieval period, okay. They had sort of like neighboring summer villas, okay. And, and, and she was eight and he was a year older. He was nine. And, and you know, again, we don't know how much they they really talked to one another. They probably did. Um, and, and, but, but as kids, so, um, so, so they meet first when she's eight and he's nine, and then they don't see each other again. They don't see each other again for another nine years. And nine years later, he happens, Dante happens to see Beatrice uh, walking down a street or, or crossing over a bridge, over a canal or something like that, uh, urban environment. And she's accompanied by two friends and he's struck. You know, he had always had this, he, he, he had always had this love for her, but he sees her and he's struck. He's struck with this like, you know, he, he loses his breath. You know, how many of us have lost our breath when we see someone that we adore cross our path, you know, uh, whether it's a celebrity or someone we're crushing on, we lose our breath. You know, the heart begins to race and she, she, um, recognizes him and 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 she recognizes him and she stops and she greets him and she 
begin, you know, wants to begin a conversation. And Dante turns around and runs away. Okay. So he just, he freezes on the spot. He turns around and he runs away. Okay. And, and there are evidently two other occasions. Um, one is a church, the other is a festival where they meet again and they have like conversation and things like this. So he's not a complete loser, you know, and having, you know, um, just, you know, she does know that he exists, but he is, enraptured with her existence. He is enraptured with her existence. And she goes on to become this extraordinary inspiration in his soul and in his heart, so much so that he is devastated when he learns that she has died at the age of 24. They had both married other people. I don't think there was ever, well, there was never a romantic thing between them. I don't think she ever knew what his feelings were, but um, he's 25, she's 24. He learns that she dies when she's 24. He learns uh, that she dies when she's 24. And um, he is, he's heartbroken. He's absolutely heartbroken. And so, before around that period, he writes a collection of poetry to her called La Vita Nova, La Vita Nova, which means the new life. You know, he's transported by her into a new life and he writes this love poetry to her. But it's poetry written in the um, courtly love style, you know, exalted love and, and, and idealized. But then she she dies and um, he 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 loses her. And that's when he conceives of the divine comedy, um, this journey down into hell, purgatory, and then paradise to heaven. Um, And it goes on to become one of the great masterworks of the Western canon. And Beatrice appears to him. um, It's kind of, if you remember Christmas Carol, remember how the three ghosts show up and they show Scrooge Christmas past, Christmas present, Christmas future. That's exactly the motif that's going on here. Um, Virgil shows him hell. I forget who shows him Purgatorio, some, some, some person. And then Beatrice, Beatrice comes at the end and, and brings him up to the heights of paradise and takes him through the seven spheres of heaven, the seven planets, the seven heavens. Okay. And, and there he goes and he discovers, you know, know what life is really all all about so so here we have you know a story he's he's infatuated crushing he cannot talk to her uh she dies he's full of heartbreak um and 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 it 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 introduces a fascinating idea which is the idea of the muse the idea of the beloved, um, the idea of someone who you love so much that they become a figure of inspiration to you. Now, on one hand, that's very romantic, and that's really wonderful. Dante writes a great work as a result of it. We can't even begin to name all the painters who've painted their great masterpieces because of muses, because of, of people that they felt so moved by and inspired by that they, that they have to create. Um, but at the same time, we don't really know the life of the person who inspired. We don't really know the life of the muse. Uh, do they have any idea? Did they even like this person who was, who was adoring them? You know, um, uh, did they feel like ignored? as a person, that the person was so in love with the idea of them, or the person was so in love with love, that they ignored 
the beloved or the muse altogether and just wanted to get at that source of inspiration. So, so there are, again, as I said, two sides to the Venus-Neptune square. You know, it's not just about um, falling in love with and having your heart broken, because falling in love and having your heart broken can actually inspire. It can inspire art. It can inspire future relationships. It can inspire you to stop loving. You know, it can do all sorts of things to you. But the question still remains. The question still remains, did I even even know the person that I was falling in love with? Was I even interested in getting to know the person I was falling in love with? Did that person love me back, but I didn't know because I was full of this vision? Um, did that person ever not, uh, did that person ever know? And what would happen if they had known? And was I keeping that quiet because I was involved in this rapture and this ecstasy, and that was more important than Venus bringing the two of us together. These are the questions. These are the questions that I want you to contemplate as Venus squares Neptune on July 14th and in the days and weeks that follow that profound square. Hi there, I'm Amy Escobar, a producer of the Horoscope Highlight Show with Christopher Renstrom. Thanks for tuning in to the Astrology Hub Podcast Network. If you love the show, please take a moment to subscribe, rate, review, and share it. And if you don't know how to do that, here's how you can leave a review in Apple Podcasts on iPhone. Make sure you're on the landing page for the Astrology Hub Podcast and not an individual episode. Scroll down to the bottom until you reach ratings and reviews. Click one of the five stars under tap to rate to leave a rating. And under the most recent review, tap the write a review button. And if you're on another device, just find out how to leave a review on whatever podcast player you use. Then share what you love about the show or how it helps you navigate your life. We'd love to hear your stories. And by doing this, you make it possible to make shows like Horoscope Highlights happen every week. Thank you again for tuning in, for being a part of our community, and for making astrology a part of your life.